This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin again tonight with the travel turmoil at YVR. The situation is slightly better today, but considering how bad it's been, that's not saying much. Nope. Mwadagahi is at Vancouver International. He joins us now with the airport's perspective on all of this and why this won't be a quick fix, Imad. Well, Chris, the news from YVR tonight is that it's realistic to believe the backlog caused by the delays and cancellations and just general dysfunction here at the airport could continue well through the Christmas holiday. Uh, while some people got going today to their destinations, others are still in a holding pattern. For the second straight day, Vancouver's International Airport doubled as a staging area for chaos, frustration and even sorrow. Passengers who have waited days now to get on their flight sprawled all over YVR, with some still having no indication of just how long they will be here. With young children as well, it's, it's tough to keep them um, amused and interested. What went wrong here? Yeah, I want to acknowledge it was a really challenging last couple of days for, for travellers across Canada in airports and at, uh, in, air, uh, uh, in aircraft. On Tuesday, 30 centimetres of snow threw a gigantic wrench into the massive holiday operations here at YVR. More than 24 hours later, a spokesperson finally provided some answers. At times there have been some communications breakdown uh, and that led to uh, lots of questions here on the floor. YVR blames the unexpected snowfall for the cancellations, delays and general bedlam at its terminal, saying the amount that came down surpassed their estimates by more than double. You mentioned that this was in the forecast. Why not over-prepare leading up to it? Yeah, we do to a certain degree, but uh, for context, uh, that was triple the amount of snow that was, was forecast, and I don't think anybody across this region uh, could have ever uh, prepared uh, in that way. Wednesday, some flights were moving again. The congestion of planes stuck on the airfield clearing slowly. Desperate to free the backlog, YVR decided to limit the number of international flights allowed to land in Vancouver all the way until 5 p.m. Friday at the earliest. To make matters worse, the airport was short of de-icing fluid at a time, a problem that it has now resolved. And despite national spotlight now on the operational failures at YVR, CEO Tamara Vruman has yet to publicly address the situation, not responding to requests for an interview. I've been crying all day because nobody is giving me an answer. So I've been calling Flair Airlines and they, what they only said is, oh, well, I can't, what can I do for you? Are they going to make it home for the Christmas Day? You know, unfortunately, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I have to be frank with, with folks. Uh, it's going to be a challenging next few days, and there are going to be continued delays and cancellations. This is not right. This is Vancouver. This is not a third world country. 
Now, we have since been told that CEO Ms. Ruman is working here on site at YVR tonight. Now, the message today has been for people who still might have a flight in the next a couple of days to uh, tell them to check their flight ahead of time for delays and cancellations before physically showing up to YVR. And judging by the thinning relatively of the crowd here, at least for now, it seems like that message is being received. All right, good to know. That's Ahmad Agahi reporting live at YVR. Thanks, Ahmad. And a familiar sounding story at Kelowna International Airport. Things are slowly turning around there as well, but a lot of passengers are still facing long waits. Planes are moving again after more than 100 flights into and out of Kelowna were cancelled since Sunday. But the combination of a backup of displaced passengers and disrupted flights from airports flying into Kelowna has many people still waiting, some after spending the night at the airport. I have been surprised about how nice people are, but you know this is a holiday season, and I'm not I'm not anywhere near my family. That was very uncertain uh, because I I was hearing things that really scared me. Uh, other people said that they couldn't get out until after Christmas. Yeah, I got rebooked, but that was because I jumped in a cab and came up here and said I would need to see a person. I can't just try to do this over the phone because I was on hold like six hours, never spoke to a person. While things are back on track, sort of for the moment, more precipitation expected Friday could cause further issues. Well, many passengers stranded at YVR have been told they won't be able to rebook another flight for days, as we heard, and they are racking up some unexpected expenses. So what type of compensation is available to travelers who are affected? Are they able to get a full refund or any refund at all. With more on your passenger rights, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. Thanks, Sophie. Passengers have two options here. Either they opt for a refund or they wait out until there is another flight. Now, under the air passenger protection regulations, when there is a lengthy flight delay or a cancellation, even outside the airline's control, the airline you booked with must provide a passenger with a confirmed reservation on the next available flight or a competitor's flight within a 48-hour window. If the airline cannot provide the passenger with a confirmed flight leaving with in that time frame, the airline will have to provide a refund. If that doesn't happen, air passenger advocates we spoke with say take action and buy a ticket yourself. For those passengers for whom 48 hours have passed, if there is, say, a wedged seat, then Air Canada has to reboot a passenger on that seat. If they don't do so, the passengers are suggested to buy a ticket themselves fly out and then make Air Canada pay for that extra expense. Even though it is outside the carrier's control originally, if it has been more than 48 hours, it is the airline's responsibility at that point to just get somehow the passenger to their destination. Now, if there are no seats available on any flights whatsoever, you can still insist on being rebooked on the next available flight if you prefer not to take a refund. However, while waiting, you are responsible for your expenses. Still, air passenger rights advocate Gabor Lukacs says getting a refund is always an option once your flight is cancelled and refers to the Canada Transportation Act, the air transportation regulations and case law. He says if the airline refuses to provide a refund, then it means taking it up at the BC Civil Resolution Tribunal, which deals with small claims disputes. Chris, Sophie.
All right, thanks for that, Anne. And some breaking travel news if you are taking the Coquihalla. It has been closed between Othello, just east of Hope, and Merritt. High Arctic outflow winds are sweeping through the Coquihalla Canyon, blowing away the sand that had been applied for traction. And there's also been a bad accident in the area with at least three patients transported to hospital. That section of the Coquihalla will remain closed until the winds ease off and the maintenance contractor can once again establish traction on that highway surface. Drivers should plan an alternate route. Sky trains and buses are slowly returning to normal schedules after the snowstorm. TransLink says buses are out on all routes, although some are rerouted due to road conditions. SkyTrain is seeing reduced service due to the cold in order to make sure the tracks are clear and the frost and ice on doors is minimal. After the many disruptions across Metro Vancouver on Tuesday, TransLink says it's ready for the next few days. Crews will be out spraying the doors and chipping off ice with hockey sticks on SkyTrains uh, every day as well. Trains will be running through our maintenance facilities to get serviced and ice removed as much as possible uh, over the next uh, couple of days and nights. TransLink says staffing levels have increased as of today as well and more staff are being called in advance of the next storm. And getting around Metro Vancouver continues to be a challenge for pedestrians, as many homeowners aren't following bylaws that require them to shovel their sidewalks. Many walkways that are the responsibility of various levels of government are also not being cleared. Krista Dow is live now with more on the slippery and dangerous situation. Krista. Well, Sophie, we are unfortunately seeing far too many uncovered sidewalks. Take a look at this one. The sidewalk completely covered with snow. And as we see those temperatures drop, that compact snow becoming very icy and very dangerous for both pedestrians and many people with mobility challenges. It's been a constant balancing act. We've been kind of walking on snow and it's slippery, struggling a little bit navigating the sidewalks of Burnaby after a big dumping of snow. The roads have been kind of messy, sidewalks messy. We've just been, I guess, like, just walking in the middle of the road. This, a common scenario playing out right across Metro Vancouver. Pedestrians walking where they can as plenty of sidewalks remain uncleared. It's just like trying to be careful, right? Like, try not to slip, and it's a challenge for sure. You gotta be careful, slipping, you know. So when you get up a little bit older, each city has its own rules, but generally homeowners are required to clear their sidewalks around their property of snow and ice by 10 a.m. or within 24 hours. Some maybe that aren't quite keeping up. Each municipality is responsible for its own streets and walkways, some of which remain uncleared. And in many cases, snow plows burying cars and blocking intersections. Need to drive a car, come back to my home. Unshoveled sidewalks, especially dangerous for seniors and those with mobility challenges like Kevin Holder. Basically, I am paralyzed. All I have is this thing to get around in, and they're not making it possible. Last year, the city of Vancouver issued 279 tickets after receiving about 1,500 complaints. So far this year, no tickets handed out and only 300 complaints received. Once we find a sidewalk that isn't cleared in time is that we can issue them with a notice of, of a violation or that they need to do the cleanup. 
Then we have to, according to the bylaw, we have to give them at least 24 hours. This is a pure sheet of ice. Meantime, city residents are forced to suffer through the conditions. Going through there, I, I can barely get through there. And so, Sophie, just want to reiterate the fine for homeowners. That's $250, but it can go up to $750. So really, people need to take this seriously. And for those who do have challenges with uh, clearing snow, there are many snow angel programs available. So really, there's not too many good excuses why those sidewalks just aren't cleared. Definitely. All right. Thanks for that. Krista Dow reporting in Vancouver. Vancouver Island is also still dealing with the fallout of the massive snowfall earlier this week. Transit is running on a limited schedule. Many tourist attractions are still shut down and small businesses are struggling as people cancel and stay home. Richard Zussman has more on the situation in and around Victoria. Victoria has been spinning its tires, both figuratively and literally. Unfortunately, everything's closed. The city is still paralyzed by the aftermath of more than 35 centimeters of snow. Both the Royal BC Museum and Ogden Point Breakwater closed. This is the first time that we've had to close the breakwater due to snow, so quite an unusual event. Bus service resumed after being suspended Tuesday, but for most of the day, BC Transit service only available in the downtown core and not on any schedule leaving people cold and waiting. It's hard, especially if you have a disability, because I can't walk. I have to wait for a bus. I do want to assure people that this is, a, this is not a decision that we take lightly at BC Transit to suspend service like it has been suspended. But ultimately, it is about safety and it is about the road conditions. The focus has been keeping the main roads clear while side roads and parking spaces are basically impassable, having a significant impact on businesses at their busiest time of the year. It's unfortunate, right, because clients wait. They want to get their hair done before Christmas and... They can't come in, so it's it's upsetting. Staff also struggling to get to Fish Hair Salon and almost every other business. Victoria Mayor Marianne Alto says the city is doing its best to keep up. We all remember why we actually live here. It's so that we don't have to deal with winter like the rest of the country. So it's a bit of a surprise for us always, uh, and uh, you know it's nice to see that we're all trying to help one another. There was snow in the forecast for Thursday and Friday and things are expected to warm up. BC Hydro bracing for the possibility of power outages on the island. Whether it warms up with some rain, freezing rain, those are all going to be some factors that we have to watch and can cause us some grief. Grinding it out. Meaning doing just about everything is going to be a little harder, at least for the next few days. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's get the gruesome details now from senior meteorologist Christy Gordon. Uh, we've had kind of back-to-back -back severe weather events, and now we've got another one coming down the pipe, too. What do you know, Christy? Well, it's really a concern because uh, Environment Canada just this afternoon issued a, a winter storm watch for all of the south coast. Here's a look at the areas highlighted in blue. So the reason why it's a winter storm watch and it will likely be transitioned to a warning tomorrow is because not only are we going to see significant snowfall from Thursday night right through the day Friday where some areas could see from 10 to 20 centimeters of snow. But during the day on Friday, as temperatures begin to warm up, we have a 
risk of freezing rain, and it could be a prolonged period of freezing rain in areas like the Fraser Valley. And then Friday night, a transition to rainfall, and it will be significant rain over the next little while, and we've got a lot of snow on the ground, so you can imagine what that will happen or what will happen. We'll see slushy, uh, potentially flooding conditions in low-lying areas. Drivers have to be on the A-game, on their A-game for a, a few days uh, to come. Thanks very much, yeah. Christy. New details about the chaotic moments and hail of gunfire that stopped a pair of armed bank robbers. The report into how police responded and what we're learning about the terror officers faced. Next on the News Hour. Abbotsford police get a bit of a helping hand to catch a suspected thief. That's coming up on the News Hour. And another blow for crypto. Why BC Hydro is suspending service to digital miners. That's still to come. Right now, though, a new report from the province's police watchdog is painting a terrifying picture of what police and the public faced when two armed men held up a bank in June. The new details are chilling. They had high-powered rifles, body armor, and IEDs in the trunk of their vehicle. But as Kylie Stanton reports, their motive is still a mystery. It's been nearly six months since a shocking shootout in Saanich. And what exactly happened? has been a source of speculation ever since. Now, finally, some answers. It is my sincere hope that the detailed and evidence-based report published today provides answers to many of your questions. In eight pages, the Independent Investigations Office of BC paints a picture of that Tuesday morning in late June, where two suspects identified as 22-year-old twins, Matthew and Isaac Octorloni, entered the BMO Bank on Shelbourne Street at 11.02 a.m. They were wearing body armor and leg protection, armed with a large sheath knife and this weapon. A 7.62 millimeter caliber SKS semi-automatic with extended magazines. A single shot was fired into the ceiling of the vestibule. After stealing uh, some money, they uh, paused for several minutes, many minutes, in the bank um, lobby while everyone else in the bank had been ushered into back rooms. 16 minutes later, they exited and began heading towards their vehicle. That's when this white van carrying six members of the RCMP's Greater Victoria Emergency Response Team approached, tossing a flashbag device outside the vehicle to distract or stun the suspects. Instead, bullets flew. We can't be sure whether uh, the police fired first in response to the raising of a deadly weapon, which would be entirely justified, or whether the assailant fired first and then others responded. It was almost simultaneous. The report recounts the officer's experiences, one of them describing hearing the boom of the device, saying, and it was almost like a continuation. Right with that was another boom, and then just more. Boom, boom, boom. Roughly 100 rounds were fired by a total of 10 officers. The second assailant only suffered nine wounds from bullets and the first one only three. Um, so that shows how effective their body armor was. For the first time, the nature of the officers' injuries were revealed. That included gunshot wounds to the leg and arm, another was shot in the neck, and a third in the upper abdomen and thigh. In the report, an officer says, staring through me, and all he's able to do is just exhale. This was one of the most challenging incidents an officer could ever expect to face in their career. 
The report found all involved were acting in lawful execution of their duty and were justified in their fatal use of force. And while there are still questions that may never be answered, like why the brothers entered that bank in the first place, there is a sense of closure. That day, lives were saved. Kali Stanton, Global News. Dozens of guns have been seized from a Coquitlam warehouse after a nearly year-long investigation. Surrey RCMP began the investigation earlier this year when the suspect was living in that city. Police say the suspect was selling firearms, many prohibited without discretion. On December 1st, the search warrant was executed at the warehouse on Ketch Court near Highway 1 and Lougheed Highway. These investigations can take some time as their extensive analysis of firearms that will be required and part of this process involves determining if any of these firearms are involved in other crimes. Among the items seized were well over 100,000 rounds of various ammunition, body armor, various magazines for these particular firearms that were both loaded and many of them were prohibited, and 38 firearms, again many of them being prohibited. Of those two were ghost guns and one was a 3D printed AR-15 lower receiver. The 42-year-old suspect's name hasn't been released yet because charges have so far not been laid. Coming up, managing the spike in ER visits at BC Children's Hospital. Our healthcare system has been under strain for uh, almost three years now. Desperate measures to make sure kids are getting the care they need. And one lucky dog rescued from a vineyard in Penticton later. Delays here in Surrey. Crews are on scene to a two-car crash. Eastbound uh, Highway 17 is blocked just before the Port Van Bridge. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball jackpot is $38 million, plus the classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Tristie Wisson in Global One, high above Highway 17 in the Port Van Bridge. holidays from all of us here at Global BC. Global News is getting a behind-the-scenes look inside BC Children's Hospital as it deals with the overload of young patients with respiratory illnesses. Stories from the front lines show the immense pressure on staff while they focus on helping patients and parents. Erin MacArthur reports. There we go. Hi. Baby Kalea has spiked a fever. What's that? Four days now hovering near 40 degrees. Her family doctor suggested she should be seen at Children's. If it's viral, she said it would have been three days, it would have, the fevers would have gone down, but the fourth day is kind of a sign that something else might be brewing. This is Kalea's second trip to emerge in just a couple of weeks. Quiet Wednesday, the first trip was anything but. The last time we were here, it was about four hours, and we were just still in the waiting area. Like all pediatric centers, BC Children's Hospital has been hit hard by a combination of influenza, RSV, and other respiratory viruses. Wait times on some days have been up to 12 hours. Dr. Garth Meckler heads up the ED. Despite all the challenges facing his staff, everything from stressed out parents to winter weather, his team remain focused on helping their young patients. It's been remarkable. I mean, the commitment that I've seen from colleagues across the board. Volumes in the emergency department have increased by about 20% this fall. 
but the severity of some of those cases is adding to the strain. Children's has opened an overflow clinic to deal with less severe respiratory symptoms. According to Dr. Jenna Davidson, the overflow has done what was intended, easing pressure on the main emergency department. Typically you're seeing a dozen or so patients in here per day, which... Yeah, I'd say a dozen to, to you know, 12 to 15 patients a day. You know, it's variable, but it's up and around that number. Now another relief valve is being opened. Kids with broken bones will also be diverted. Starting December 28th, the orthopedic clinic will shift its hours to better handle those types of injuries, leaving emergency staff free to focus on the sickest patients. It's staff thinking creatively and being given the opportunity to, to think about, well, how can we contribute? And they want to contribute. While the wait time was under an hour Wednesday morning, by the afternoon, it was creeping up. <laughs> Staff ready for another night dealing with an influx of sick kids. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And just ahead, new details in the teen girls attack that happened on the streets of Toronto. The possible motive for what turned out to be a deadly stabbing. Also coming up, why BC Hydro is pulling the plug on crypto mining. Delays over here for northbound traffic on the 91A to the Queensboro Bridge. There's a tow truck on scene to a stall just before the house on-ramp. Looking for attractive monthly income from the NASDAQ 100? Scan to learn about QQCC, a covered call ETF from Horizon ETFs. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. I have a stall at the Queensboro Bridge. Toronto police are piecing together what led eight teenage girls to allegedly swarm and stab a man to death over the weekend. The suspects are all between 13 and 16 years old. The victim, a 59-year-old man who police say had just recently entered the shelter system. Global's Shalima Maharaj has the story. They met each other through social media. They come from varying parts of the city. Three 13-year-olds, three 14-year-olds, and two 16-year-olds, all charged with the second-degree murder of a Toronto man living in the city's shelter system. Police say weapons were also seized. We don't know how or why they met on that evening and why the destination was downtown Toronto. It's believed the 59-year-old victim was living here at the Strathcona Hotel, which had been converted to a shelter during the pandemic. A woman claiming to be the victim's friend tells Global News she saw what happened. They tried to steal your alcohol? They, they took it already and then and he stopped them and then they, uh, they stopped them, leave her alone, and then they hit him. All bleeding, all bleeding. We asked Toronto police whether an attempted theft took place during the teen's encounter with the victim. They tell Global News a possible theft of alcohol was involved. Robbery is often the motive to violent acts on the streets, and a lot of times robberies go wrong. Maybe murder wasn't the intent. Former Toronto Police Homicide Detective Dave Perry says what struck him most initially was the age of the suspects and how random the attack appears to have been. Everybody's life has been changed as a result. Prior to the fatal altercation, police say it appears the girls were involved in another incident. They're now asking anyone who was in the York and University area after 10 p.m. Saturday to reach out.
particularly anyone who may have interacted with the group. There are a lot of instances where people make poor decisions when they're in a group, even if they come from a family that taught them otherwise. So I, I wouldn't rush to assume that that was the kind of underlying cause of this behavior. I think that anytime you have teens who are out and unsupervised together, they're capable of doing things that are deviant, if not violent. That is not necessarily a, a reflection of you know, their values or how they were raised or the community that they grew up in. The teens have since been remanded in custody and are due back in court on December 29th. Shalima Maharaj, Global News. BC is following the lead of other Canadian provinces and putting the brakes on any new cryptocurrency mining. The government says BC's abundant supply of clean, affordable energy has attracted cryptocurrency miners who use huge amounts of electricity while creating few jobs for the local economy. Energy and Mines Minister Josie Osborne says 21 new projects are requesting enough energy to power about 570,000 homes or 2.1 million electric vehicles per year. While power requests for new miners are suspended for 18 months, BC Hydro will develop a permanent framework for any future operations. In Quebec, that now includes higher rates and a cap on the amount of electricity they can use. The BC government says cryptocurrency miners already in operation will not be affected by the suspension. We want to preserve BC's clean electricity for the things that really matter to British Columbians, and that includes our economic goals and our climate action goals. So we're able to let people use that electricity for things like switching to heat pumps to help lower the cost of heating their homes and making the switch to electric vehicles. Well, it's one thing to... Uh, oh, let's go to the snow speed chase, shall we? I like that story even better. Call this one... Yes, a slow speed, snow speed chase. Abbotsford Police Staff Sergeant Chris Nightingale tweeted out a picture of a U-Haul truck stuck in the snow. Behind the wheel, a known offender and suspected porch pirate who was trying to get away from pursuing officers. Mother Nature got involved in the operation, bogging down the truck and allowing police to move in and finally make that arrest. The suspect is now facing a number of charges. Still ahead, giving the perfect gift this holiday season. We have about a week's worth of baking going out each day. How food has become a fad this Christmas. But first, well, we already did that one. <laughs> already did that one. We got ahead of ourselves. We have other stuff coming. Squire's coming up with sports. We got that. Happy Holidays from all of us here at Global BC. Of course, it's one thing to t take a quick walk like across our courtyard right now. It's entirely different if you have to work outside in these bone-chilling temperatures. That is especially the case in some parts of the province today like Kelowna, where wind chill values dipped to nearly 40 below. While most people try to stay inside, those who can't avoid it have some tips on how to stay somewhat warm. Well, if you can get in the trucks, that's a good idea. But uh, yeah, just keep moving as much as possible. Keep the blood flowing. Well, considering I just got back from Mexico yesterday, this is cold. <laughs> Run inside once in a while and that's about it. So it's like, 
just have to keep moving around and just plunking at her, wearing extra layers? Of course, you got to dress properly for this weather. The coldest temperatures are forecasted to end by tomorrow with a warm-up for the weekend. And you know Christy Gordon was picking up what that guy was putting down when he said you just have to wear appropriate clothing <laughs> for the weather. As she is outside <laughs> on the deck right now. Looks cold out there. Yeah, layers, that's for sure. Layers and puffy coats. If you're smarter than I, wear toque as well. Yes, yeah, so wind chills in the interior are down to minus 40 again tonight. You'll likely see those temperatures through the day tomorrow. It's actually not until uh, into Friday that we're going to see conditions warm up for us. Wind chills of minus 20. We talked about the winter storm. Let's talk a little bit more about how much snow we're going to see. So tomorrow will be dry, but we could start to see a few flakes develop across Vancouver Island tomorrow evening. For Metro Vancouver, it's more like tomorrow night that we're going to see snowfall and through the day Friday. Friday is not a good day for travel. Avoid it if you can. We're talking about 10 to 20 centimeters possible from Thursday night through Friday. And as I mentioned earlier, it's a warm up that we're going to see. So although it begins as snowfall across the region by the afternoon hours or even earlier than that across Vancouver Island, we're going to see a transition to a mix of rain and snow with a risk of freezing rain and that causes dangerous conditions on the roads. The best chance of seeing that freezing rain are parts of Vancouver Island, but also the Fraser Valley. And what happens is the warm air rides up and over the cold air that's entrenched down below. And the ground is so cold right now that the moisture just freezes on impact and causes treacherous conditions. So don't break if you were to run into ice. It's better to just pull your uh, foot off the accelerator and keep your steering wheel straight to avoid it. Then we've got an onslaught of rainstorms after that. So Saturday, Sunday into Christmas. Yes, we are going to see significant rain. So any of the snow on the ground is going to melt everyone. We have the potential for some localized low-lying flooding. So watch for that. You might want to clear some storm drains if you can. For those of you in the interior, again, the transition day is tomorrow. It's not until tomorrow night that that snow will push in. And then it's Friday that is the day that I'm concerned about with the potential for flooding on Saturday as we start to see that rainfall push in. So I'm not expecting a white Christmas, everyone. It's more like a wet Christmas for those across the south coast here. It has been enjoyable, though. Look at this beautiful shot from Maine Island. I loved it today. Personally, uh, I'm lucky I get to work from home. So that is uh, a benefit. I know a lot of people were dealing with the travel still today. Back to you. They sure were. Thank you, Christy. Puzzling pup rescue for Penticton firefighters. Fire crews were called out yesterday to a vineyard along Valley View Road about 430 in the afternoon when the owner reported their dog was stuck underneath a large boulder. Crews were able to rescue the pup quickly, and thankfully the dog was not injured, but how it got stuck there in the first place is still a mystery. It's chasing a squirrel. Isn't that how it always happens? That's all. I know Henry loves to do that. It wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't surprise me in this case at all. All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to what's coming up in sports. Squire. Well, haven't we all gotten the troubles chasing squirrels at one <laughs> time true. or another? It's the true. Uh, Vancouver Canucks have two games before the Christmas break. Tomorrow at home against Seattle, then Friday they go to Edmonton. In order to win those games, they best work a little bit harder defensively, says Curtis Lazar. Ultimately, it doesn't come down to you know, who's bigger, who's stronger, who's faster. It's whoever wants it more. The Canucks say they want it, but lapses in games of late show they aren't focused on it enough.
Also tonight, why you should put some gastronomical gifts on your shopping list this year. The Canucks are a bit of a puzzle, aren't they? Oh, <laughs> Rubik's Cube of hockey. Well, it's been like that since 1970. Mm -hmm. True. With a few exceptions. I mean, they were good at times over those long years. Uh, people wonder, how is it the Canucks were so good after Bruce Boudreau took over last December, and now they're back to where they were before he arrived? Well, there's a number of reasons, but if you look at basic, st basic statistics, one jumps out more than any other. The Canucks are pretty much scoring at the same rate under Boudreau this year as they did last year, but it's keeping goals out that's been the problem. Vancouver's allowing more than a goal per game extra this season than last season. A good bit of it is the goaltending hasn't been as good, but to help deal with that, the players in front of the goalies need to work harder defensively, and that's clearly not something enough of them are doing. I've always looked at it, you know, if you're not scoring goals, what can you do to be effective? If you look at me, i got one goal in the season, so clearly that's not what I'm focused on. It's about doing other things, uh, and, and other guys just kind of buying in. Some other guys, everyone here has their niche. You know, you're all part of the, you know, the puzzle. You're your own unique piece, so what can you do to bring it? But work ethic, physicality, moving your feet, checking with your legs, all that stuff should be non-negotiable. So, you know, we can find it within us, and when it becomes automatic, then you become a dangerous team. And if you don't find it, you're a danger to yourself as a team. Uh, Axel Schuster and the Vancouver Whitecaps had two first-round picks today in the MLS Super Draft. They took midfielder J.C. Nagando, fifth overall. He was a great playmaker in U.S. college, second in the NCAA for assists last year. And Brampton forward Levante Johnson, who played college at Syracuse. He scored 11 goals. Before that, he played college at Seattle University. The Caps are still looking for a veteran striker to replace Lucas Cavallini, as well as get more depth for the coming season. Since joining the Whitecaps in 2019, Axel Schuster has focused on building and developing the team for the future. After winning the Canadian Championship last season to earn a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League, it appears that future is now. We had actually always followed the, the philosophy to get the right one and not the first one and also to suffer maybe at the beginning of a season because we know there is a better player that we can get later. Uh, now we think with also the many competitions we have to play to be ready for the Champions League and also with the experience with the, of a, the slow start of last year, we really want to get the group together as early as possible. That does give the Whitecaps organization a lot of time to fill out a roster that will be playing potentially more than 50 matches in a calendar year for the first time in the club's history. On top of the 34 MLS League games, the Caps will play in the CONCACAF Champions League, the Canadian Championship, the League's Cup, and MLS playoffs if they make it. The depth of the squad will be tested and top-end talent will determine how well they do, but don't expect the Whitecaps to make splash signings like we saw in Toronto and L.A. last season. Instead, they'll look to discover and develop the next MLS star. Nihani Mukta wasn't a big name before he came to this league. Uh, Josie Martinez wasn't a big name before he came to the league. I think there are a lot of examples. Uh, I, I prefer to sign a player that becomes a big name when he is here and everyone laughs and, every, and the player that really makes a difference in this league. And that's actually what we are focusing on. Better we go for the best possible talent and help them to, to do the next step and becoming 
impactful employees for this club. Getting players to level up and help the Whitecaps win is also part of the ticket sales strategy. The Whitecaps ranked 22nd in the league in average attendance last year with just over 16,000 per home game. If we consistently can play on the level we have played at the end of last season or we have played in the Canadian Championship or we have played against very good opponents, at the end it is only that that matters for people, not if it is a big name other than maybe two, three big names that exist in the world that really would make the difference, but they are not coming to Vancouver. Soccer's greatest star ever, Pele, has taken a turn for the worse in a Brazilian hospital. He's been treated for cancer and he's having issues with his kidney and heart functions. He's been getting treatment for cancer since last year. He is 82 years old. He made several appearances in Vancouver during his playing days. This is one against the Whitecaps when he was with the New York Cosmos back in the old NASL. Whenever he played and wherever he played, you knew all the tickets would be sold. On this night, it was a full house at Empire Stadium. You saw a great in Messi at the World Cup, but even he would bow down to the greatest of them all, Pele, like every other soccer legend done, does. This man is and was the GOAT. Men's ski cross, three Canadians and Matthias Graf from Austria. I love this sport because it always looks to me like it was invented after somebody watched a Bond movie. And Colta's legs, Reese Howden is one of the best in the world at it. He couldn't catch Graf for first, but he did get second. That's his 11th World Cup podium. Brady Lehman of Alberta finished third. Mariel Thompson of Whistler won bronze in the women's final. She has three podiums in four races this year. And Jesse Fleming of uh, Canadian national soccer team fame has been named Canada's Women's Player of the Year for the second year in a row. Congratulations, Jesse. Awesome. Thanks, Squire. Up next, the hot item this Christmas that everyone's hungry for. Season's greetings from all of us here at Global News. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, the Coquihalla Highway still closed between Hope and Merritt. Still no word when it might reopen. Plus, our cameras are staying at YVR. We'll see how tonight goes as the airport tries to get back on its feet. We'll also go in search of the CEO, Tamara Vrooman, who received $1.3 million in total compensation last year has not spoken out publicly during the snow chaos. Her last media appearance was last week for the opening of a new restaurant at YVR, but we're told she is on site at the airport tonight. We'll see if she has any message for travelers, especially with another storm heading the airport's way. That's tonight on Global News at 11. Chris? All right, sounds good, Jordan. Thank you. While Canada's inflation rate cooled off in November, the latest data from Statistics Canada shows there's little relief at the grocery store. And during what's already a costly time of the year, that has some people looking to give the gift of food this holiday season. Global's Marnie Blunt has more. The store and meat counter at this Winnipeg butcher shop is a high-traffic area this holiday season. Very busy, especially after COVID. People are finally going back to normal and 
they would like to meet together again. So we're very busy. And it isn't just for holiday dinners. Daria Zulia says many of their customers are buying food as gifts, a more practical gift idea amid the high cost of living. A lot. We have so many requests for gift baskets, for meat packages, also for just gift cards and people asking what kind of gifts they can give to families. A similar scene at High Tea Bakery. We're a little crazy. Yeah, we've, at the moment we have about a week's worth of baking going out each day. But the booming business is bittersweet. This year the order volumes were so high that we actually had to cut off all December orders on November 20th. You run this horrible, lovely thing where you have lots of sales, but then you're saying no to everybody for a month and a half before Christmas. Belinda Bijo says she expected demand to go down this year amid inflation and higher prices. She also had to raise her own prices due to high food costs, but it's having the opposite effect. And she says finding more practical, affordable gifts could play a role. Maybe when things do get high, you, you focus on those small things you can still afford that are still within the reasonable amount. A surge in demand that stores are struggling to keep up with, but one that's a good problem to have as a business. People go back to, I think, forever 90s or something, then it's basic food is the most important than just other probably gifts. Giving a gift that everyone is in need of this holiday season. Marnie Blunt, Global News. You know me, I'm always excited to see food gifts. <laughs> always. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if you were thinking, no, I already got something Some special. sort of gift that you can consume. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Have I given you a gift yet? I can't uh, remember. You know what? Maybe not. No, okay. Have I given you Somebody. one? Yes, you have. Yeah, I know. I'm I always have. late. I'm always behind. <laughs> All right, Christy. Um, you, and part of the reason some that? people may be behind is because of the weather. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to remind you guys. Do you remember when I gave you guys toothbrushes for Christmas? Yeah. I do. Chris bamboo. was not impressed with me at all. I still have it. I still yeah. use it. Is that a hint to us? <laughs> it's been a while, Chris. You can switch it up now. Well, it's one I keep at work. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Oh, we're out of time. That's it. <laughs> On Toothbrush Talk. <laughs> Have a good night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.